Hi everyone, and welcome to Clitastic Chronicles, a pleasure-positive podcast created by smile makers for people with clitorises. I'm Cecile, and today I'm speaking with Dr. Jess. Dr. Jess runs a sexual health clinic here in Singapore. A general practitioner by training, she has developed a keen interest in female and sexual health. Her practice offers management of female health issues and bridges the gap between regular GPs and gynecologists and sexual health specialists. Today, we are talking about STIs. Since STIs are usually covered in traditional sex education, we haven't dwelled much on them. But Dr. Jess has a gift to give a positive spin to everything related to sexual health and inspire us to take charge of our pleasure and our health. Let's get started. Hi, Dr. Jess. Thanks for being with us today. Uh, today, we're going to talk about STIs and safe sex. And the first question I have, which is quite a big one, is can you give us like the lay of the land when it comes to STIs, like how to prevent them, how to recognize them, how to treat them? Okay. Wow. It is a big question. <laughs> it is a big question. <laughs> okay. So um, when we think about uh, STIs, we often have a scenario where we are engaging with somebody else, right? So when you're engaging with somebody else, regardless of who it might be, if you're in a monogamous relationship or if you're in a polygamous relationship, if it's just not a relationship at all, it's a one-night stand type of thing, there's always, always a possibility that you can contract an STI despite wearing a condom or despite keeping the sexual intercourse protected. Okay. And that is because uh, STIs, they're, they're very many types, they can spread in different methods. So the, the, the baseline here is that when you have a condom on, or when your partner uses a condom, be it over the penis, be it over a shared sex toy, you're simply covering only the area that is covered by the condom. Mm. You're preventing secretions, which is ejaculation, from the penis, from entering your vagina. And that way you don't have that kind of exchange of body fluid. You are stopping secretions from the vagina, touching the head of the penis, particularly the area of the foreskin where infections like to track in. So during sex, I tell couples that, you know, it's not just penis interacting with the vagina clinically or penis interacting with the anus clinically or penis interacting with the mouth clinically. There are other areas that touch. And vulvas with vulvas. Or... Exactly, and vulvas with vulvas too. Uh, so there are other areas that contact each other. So there's skin-to-skin contact as well. You can't possibly have sex without the skin-to-skin contact. You can't possibly even kiss without the skin-to-skin contact. So... The skin-to-skin contact transmits certain types of STDs, and we can name a few. So you can transmit uh, viruses like the herpes virus through there. You can transmit uh, viruses like the HPV virus, which is the human papilloma virus, which has been popularized with causing things like cervical cancers or things like oral cancers. Take, for example, Michael Douglas, who came out yeah. saying that you know he had oral cancer and was likely related to HPV yeah. virus from having oral sex. So syphilis causes things like sores, and if you rub up against somebody else's uh, uh, skin or body, that could be transmission of the bacteria to the other skin, and then the other person ends up getting syphilis too. Uh, another one that is quite common is, is that of warts. 
So you know, uh, what viruses are actually also HPV viruses, so, and uh, they they can also be transmitted from skin to skin. The things that you are primarily protecting yourself from when you've got a condom on, or when you're using, for example, uh, dental dams. You know, uh, so let's say we talk about. Um, sexual engagements between women, between mm. two women. One might give oral sex to another on the vulva, and sometimes they use a little barrier, yeah. which is like a little, um, we call it a dental dam, uh, but if you want to think about it simplistically, just imagine a condom cut up and you just mm. pull it over the vulva and you give oral sex that way safely. So that way you prevent any transmission of uh, STDs from the mouth to the vulva or from the vulva to the mouth. So, uh when you cover up with a condom, whether it's a devil dam or whether it's a condom condom that we familiarly know, you are mainly preventing the transfer of bacteria like chlamydia, uh, gonorrhea, uh, hepatitis, and HIV as well. So those kind of things often involve exchange of body fluid. Mm. So you, you do prevent uh, the transmission of those infections. In saying that, there are some other infections that perhaps are not so commonly known. Uh, and one of it is called trichomonas. So trichomonas is a parasite. Not a bacteria, it's not a virus, it's just a different type of, of bug, if I would say. Uh, and that can also be transmitted through exchange of body fluid. And uh, you've got others not so commonly known. We've got mycoplasma, ureaplasma. So anyone who's done an SG screening would see all these things appearing on their lab reports. Mycoplasma, ureaplasma. And you go, what in the world is that? And those are probably one of the tiniest free-living uh, organisms that are difficult to get rid of when you get them because they're so, so small. And they have developed quite a lot of resistance to antibiotics. There is a type of STD that I would like to highlight, and it is from the mycoplasma family, and it's called mycoplasma genitalium. It is in fact not standardly tested in your STD screening. So when you rock up to the doctor's clinic and you say, hey, can I get an STD screening? It is not often in that battery of tests as a routine. But we've been seeing more and more cases of mycoplasma uh, genitalium. It's a hard-to-get-rid-of bacteria, and it has a tendency to cause chronic problems. So take, for example, in a man, when it tracks through their penis, it has a tendency to ride up into the prostate and cause what we call chronic prostate problems, or chronic prostatitis, which is just the inflammation of the prostate. And you might have symptoms that go on for a while. So you, know, you might have symptoms like, oh, I keep discharging uh, this, this, this uh, cloudy discharge every now and again. I keep getting this burn in my penis, but every time I go for an STD test, nothing's picked mm. up. So that's when you got to go, okay, is there an STD I'm missing? Is there an STD that's not tested? And it probably is the mycoplasma genitalium. So it's worthwhile to get that tested. For for people with vulvas, what would be the symptoms? Same thing. Same so, thing. you know, you could have uh, issues with discharge. You constantly get this discharge that, you know, I've been through all my testing. It's not my common infections. Doctor keeps telling me that I haven't got chlamydia I haven't got the other mycoplasma, I haven't got ureplasma, but then there's one other one that's not standardly tested, and that's the mycoplasma genitalium. So, and you might have pelvic pain as well, mm. discomfort around the vagina or just deep in the abdomen. So really worthwhile getting that tested. If you keep having symptoms and you've gone for testing, 
you haven't eliminated one other infection, get that infection eliminated, which is the mycoplasma genitalia. If that too is negative, then you need to pull back, go back to the drawing board together with your doctor and go, hey, maybe this is not an infection after all. This can do with something with my pelvic floor. So, you know, then, then you start churning up the other things that could be causing symptoms which are very similar to STDs. Okay. Yeah. And, um, yeah, that's about, that's about kind of the range of uh, different uh, STDs. Um, in terms of the other most commonly asked question is when, when do you test? So everything has a time frame. Everything has a sort of a window before it shows up in your blood. And one thing we want people to understand is that when we're doing a blood test to pick up virus or the presence of a bacteria, we're not actually picking up the virus. We're picking up your body's reaction to having encountered that virus. So we're talking about antibodies, right? Mm. So when your body encounters something, it's got this huge army uh, in its base, like it's in your bone marrow, in your, on your lymph nodes, and it says, hey, come out there and make these antibodies. So send out these soldiers uh, to combat this, this virus. So when we draw your blood and we are testing to see whether... Uh, you've got the virus. We're testing for the presence of these soldiers that have been manufactured to fight the virus or to fight the bacteria. So like when we test for HIV, we are also looking for antibodies. But of course, there's newer HIV tests where we look for the actual protein that belongs to the virus. So that allows us to test for HIV much earlier than we used to. So commonly, back in the day, when we tested for HIV, you needed to wait about three months mm. after an encounter that you were probably suspicious of, you were worried you might have gotten something. You need to be tested at least three months after that to mm. confirm whether or not you've got HIV virus. Yeah. And that gives you your conclusive answers where you can deep aside and you can go, okay, that's great. I didn't uh, get the HIV virus. But now you can test it as early as two weeks because we're able to pick up the protein. So it really does depend on the technology that is available to you, what is accessible to us. Things like um, hepatitis also is largely antibody-based. Uh, things like syphilis is antibody-based, but our body makes antibodies to syphilis quite quickly. So, you know, we're able to pick it up fast, usually within a week of uh, you encountering uh, the syphilis bacteria. Uh, things like herpes. Now, uh, the one thing I want to mention about herpes testing is that it is notorious. It's, it can give you large amounts of false negative uh, test reports, so meaning you're actually positive, but it turns out as negative, and also can give you false positives. So you're actually negative, but it turns out positive, the test results. So the big thing with testing herpes is to ensure that you test it at the right time. Okay. So sometimes it can take about uh, 16 weeks, you know, for, for herpes test results to actually show up to be properly, accurate. for the antibodies to turn itself at a level, to make enough of itself such that it is detectable in a blood test and for it to be accurate. So a lot of people come in and they go, oh, I've just had uh, intercourse two or three days ago and I'm worried about um, uh, STDs. Usually at that juncture, it's really quite difficult to test you for very much and to give you conclusive answers as to whether you've encountered any STDs from that episode. Mm. We would commonly tell you, look, uh, we can give you some precautionary medications first just to eliminate the, the, the 
big common bacteria mm. like chlamydia and gonorrhea, even that too, we say within the first 24 hours of your encounter, you come in and get these drugs. Um, but after that, it would be, let's wait, watch for symptoms. The earliest you can test, especially if you haven't got any symptoms, is you test it two weeks. Because at two weeks, you can test for things like HIV, you can test for things like syphilis, we could probably pick up some hepatitis, uh, and you can definitely test for all the bacteria that might involve your vagina or within your penis tract, and I'm just going to name a few, things like chlamydia, mm. gonorrhea, mycoplasma, ureaplasma, trichomonas. Okay. And these are the five most common ones that we can pick up through a vaginal swab or through a urine test uh, from the penis. Okay. So at two weeks, you probably can get decent answers. For HIV, you can start testing for it. It does appear at that point, but to get conclusive answers is probably at a month. Okay, okay. And so you've explained how some of those uh, STI, you might, we might contract them not through the exchange of fluid, but even via touch or kissing. Yeah. Um, and those are things that we're bound to do when we're engaging sexually with someone. So what would be the tips to practice safe sex but being realistic about the fact that we are going to touch each other and probably kiss each other. I think it starts even before the engagement uh, um, encounter begins. So it's about open discussion. Uh, when we get into a relationship, number one, or we get into an encounter with someone we're attracted to and we might uh, think about engaging with them sexually on that night, on that morning, whichever. It's to have that ability to openly ask in a manner which is respectful before you engage, so that there is clarity between uh, the two individuals who are engaging sexually. So commonly we, we talk about how do you communicate. Yeah, yeah um, that sounds like a scary question. Yeah, how, how do you communicate uh, uh, or how do you ask someone? Because the last thing you want to do is, is ask them in a way that, that offends them. You know, uh, and people go off thinking that you've judged them. So do you think I'm promiscuous and I, yeah. and, I, and I sleep around? Is that what you think I am? But that's not what we're doing. So we're concerned about our own safety and we're concerned about their safety. So if you want someone to divulge information to you, the very first thing to do is you divulge information. So you can approach someone and say, you know, hey, I have some concerns and I'm very attracted to you. And, you know, I think we might engage or we might be having sex. But, you know, I just wanted to let you know that um, I've had my STD testings or, you know, or I haven't had an STD testing and I'm, and I'm worried, you know, that I could uh, transmit something to you. Have you had STD testings? And when was the last time you had one? I'm happy to share my results with you. So that way, you know, you can have, um, you can have intercourse uh, or outercourse uh, peacefully without worry because it lets you be fully present as well because you're not in the background thinking, oh, dear. Uh, what if this person has this, or what if I had this, or I had this before and I hadn't divulged that information to this person. Now, you will never be present in that moment because you're worried about that in the background. So uh, the big tip when it comes to communicating that across is divulge information first before someone can divulge something to you. So give a little to get a little. Mm. And uh, that's what I tell most couples. And if you're entering a relationship, just have that conversation. Especially, And people do know the juncture at which they're they're going to engage intimately mm. or they're going to be physical with each other and perhaps have their very first uh, sexual encounter with each other. Often we do get couples coming in uh, and having that agreement prior that, hey, let's both get uh, a sexual health checkup to make sure that we're not silently holding on to any infections. 
I don't like using the word clean. Having an STD doesn't mean you're dirty. So often people will will say things like, you know, hey, uh, am I clean? And I go, (laughs) no, you're obviously you're clean, but you know, you just have an infection. Uh, that's all it is. It's not about being clean or being dirty, but that's just the general layman yeah. way of saying it. But but it 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 gives a, a connotation of judgment. You know, it it creates a taboo, and here we are trying to break taboos around sexual health, and therefore we have to stop using words like this. Yeah, I completely agree. And uh, yeah, and that that's that's kind of uh, what we tell people when it comes to practicing safe sex, having that conversation first. Yeah. Of course, you will have the odd encounters, you know, where there isn't that opportunity. It's a spur of the moment, huge amount of sexual energy present between two people, and it just happens. But if you can control the situation, then it can be done within seconds, just having a quick conversation. And, um, yeah, sometimes we do assist people as well when it comes to breaking news to their partner because it's difficult to explain it all. We, We do it for them. We become the middle person that just helps with that interaction between two individuals to explain an STD that someone might have and what it means for the other person, what it means for them in the long run. Another thing is to always carry a condom around. So, you know, condoms are tiny, thin as anything, and you can just pop them in your purse. And I tell uh, all my individuals with valves, um, most commonly used condom is the male condom, right? Uh, designed for the penis. I said, okay, you can carry one in your purse too. Yeah. There's no reason that uh, uh, your male counterpart has to be the one responsible yeah. for carrying a condom. Carry one in your purse too, and uh, you can uh, you can carry another one, which is to be used as a dental dam, yeah. for example, for oral sex. You know, when we when we engage sexually with somebody else, and there's a lot of physical connection with them, we take precaution within reason. If we are worried uh, to the point of even encountering. Uh, a sexually transmitted infection through physical activity like kissing, you're not present during your intimacy. You're off focus because you're highly anxious about what you might contract. And you will not be having the intimacy that you thought you would. You will not be having the arousals that you thought you would. You will not be having the orgasms or the pleasure that you Mm. thought you would because your mind's drifted off elsewhere and you're anxious about a separate issue. So everything within reason. Do things within reason. Take your precaution within reason. And allow yourself to worry about things, but as long as you've done whatever you can, yeah. you stop there. Yeah. Go with the flow. So condoms, regular checkups, and open communication yeah. without problems. That's your tips for safe sex. Yeah. Thanks so much, Dr. Jess. That was very enlightening. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Clitastic Chronicles and found snippets of wisdom that you can apply to your own sexual health. If you like this podcast, share it around with your friends and give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're getting your podcast from. This will help us make it easier to find. For more sex positivity, head to our website at smilemakerscollection.com. See you there.